On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Well, this morning, I promised you a guest speaker. We're going to hear from uh, Pastor Dan Broyles this morning, and he is, as Pastor Ashton mentioned earlier in our announcements, he is a, a therapist and a care pastor locally in our valley. But here's the thing. If, if you didn't experience it over the pandemic, and, and I know I did, uh, I just everybody's, I see a therapist. I need a, you know, you need me to see a therapist, Okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's some sort of a stigma in the church. I don't like it. But there's some sort of a stigma in the church is, well, Jesus is the answer to everything. And you don't need anything but Jesus. And I'm like, no, listen, I need to be seen and I need to be heard. There's just some times I, don't f- I feel like I'm not seen and or heard. Pastor Dan Broyles is one of those men of God who, in his sensitivity to help people connect to be heard, to be seen, to, to then process through some of the things that are going on in, in our lives. I want to let you know that this is sensitive information. So if there's any young people here, we're talking about suicide this morning, despair, uh, anxiety. And so those will be conversations if you have young people here, and I don't see any right now, but just, just to let you know we're going into that kind of mature uh, conversation. So, Pastor Dan, would you come join us? Would you welcome Pastor Dan Broyles, please? Very excited to have him here with us. Well, good morning. Thanks, Pastor Marty. Thanks for uh, this, this privilege to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, I have this weird personality that I like talking about what everybody else avoids. So, um, if I'm at a grocery store, this has happened, this is a true story, and I'm walking down an aisle, and I hear someone else, like in the next aisle, talking about like their divorce, suicide. My wife will tell me, stay in your lane. <laughs> stay in your lane. Don't go over there and introduce yourself. So uh, I have to admit, I, I enjoy these things. But it's not just because I'm weird, which I am, according to my kids. But I, I really want uh, to see hope. I want to see hope in people's lives. And there's a lack of hope in people's lives. There really is. There's a lack of hope. I mean, just look at people putting hope in government entities, to this, to that, to everything you can think of, and there's a lack of hope. And so even though today we're going to be talking about delicate topic, suicide and mental health and all that, I hope you feel hope in the midst of these delicate topics. Um, Because there is hope because of Christ, and I've seen people go from despair to hope. It's really possible. Uh, sometimes when people are in despair, they feel like it's permanent, and it's not. It's not, even though it feels that way, it can be, it's not permanent. One of the reasons that we're even having this talk today is it's really tragic in Santa Clarita. This is where it's really delicate, and it's really sad. In Santa Clarita, between the year 2020, this is according to the uh, Sheriff's Department locally, and 2021, the people who have died in Santa Clarita by suicide has doubled. It's doubled in our area. So that's tragic. And just, think, just one person's tragic, right? Yes. Let alone numerous, numerous people. And the, the domino effects of one person on their, their friends, coworkers, other peers, relatives, grandkids, like, it just has a huge effect. So 
I, I'm really feeling, I'm, I'm on a mission to go, like, how, what do we do about this? Especially those who love Christ, you know, let's give really some hope to people. Um, every person is made in the image of God, and every person has intrinsic value. And I realize even in a room this size, I know there's probably people who've maybe known someone recently who's in their life. And I realize that's a sensitive thing, or even someone here who's thought about that in their own life recently. So I'm going to be sensitive to that. I, I realize that it's, it's really delicate. But uh, talking about it is really a good thing to do. And actually, the Bible has stuff to even uh, to say about it. So uh, put up, up the next slide here, please. Uh, I really think this, and this is, not just, this is for everybody. Every emotion I feel, every emotion I feel is a chance to connect with my Heavenly Father. Everyone. Jesus is not only into changing behavior to go, oh, I want you to do this. I want you to be nice here, forgiving here, generous here. Of course he wants us to do that. But he doesn't, that's not it. He also wants to connect with us. For those who are parents, uh, if your child is going through something difficult, they're having a rough day at school, rough day with friends, do we want them to keep it all inside or come to us and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I tell you what happened today? What do we want? We want them to come to us. Of course we do. Why? Not because we're going to solve it all, but we want to connect with them, love them, wrap our arms around them in the midst of those emotions and that hardship. But God the Father is the same way. God the Father loves to connect with his kids more than we even want to connect with our, our kids. So sometimes I'll be driving home, and I literally be like, huh, I wonder how I'm doing today, you know, the counselor and me. And I'm like, oh, I'm a little, little nervous. I'm a little upset. I'm a little happy. I'm a little this. And I'm like, oh, I get to connect with God about that. Because emotions are an opportunity to connect, even the ones with despair. Even my kids, let's say they have despair tomorrow, I don't want them to keep it to themselves. I want them to tell me. And God the Father craves that connection with us because he loves us. Right? He doesn't just want, oh, go do. He wants to uh, connect. Just think of all the times in the New Testament, Jesus, uh, on, when he was struggling, he always would almost start out this, Father. Just think the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Or even he's on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Father, relational, relational, relational. Now, in today's culture, there's a lot of pushback against, I would say, faith and spiritual things. Uh, prior to church work, I was a social worker with L.A. County. So I would visit um, this neighborhood and all around Santa Clarita when there's child abuse, be the one taking kids out, put them in foster care. It was delicate stuff. There was delicate stuff. And in today's world, though, there's a pushback about, oh, you know, we don't want to, you know, impose faith or spirituality. That's kind of the, the pushback a lot in today's culture. But um, there's interesting research out there that actually says that's been really avoided in a lot of parts of our culture that spirituality actually is so much in our best interest. And no one wants to quote it because it doesn't fit kind of their, their worldview. This is a, a quote by Lisa Miller. Uh, Lisa Miller is not a Christian. She's not a Christian. I've read a few of her books, but she's a researcher out of Columbia University, and she says, people with developed spirituality get sick less, happier, and feel more connected and less isolated. I guarantee you probably will not hear this on, uh, on your news app or read on your news app tomorrow. This will not be quoted. This will not be quoted. This, uh, if you go to the, uh, the bottom of this one here, it says this. Um, 
this. From the perspective of the mental health and wellness, spirituality is associated with significantly lower rates of depression, substance abuse, abuse, and risk-taking. Who, who doesn't want some of that for their kids or their grandkids or their neighbors? Absolutely. And this is, when it, spirituality here is really broad. And, and this is not just, a, you know, this is all over the map spirituality-wise. But we who know Christ, it's not just spiritual in general. It's in the one who we can really trust, who gets us, who designed us, made us in his image. You go to the very next one. This is really interesting, too. It says this. Uh, they did a study on, on thousands of women, people who went to uh, a religious service, once a week, church service, basically, and those who didn't. And women who went to church on a weekly basis were five times less likely to end their life with suicide. Five times less. Now, I think there's some real reasons for this. I mean, you might know some obvious reasons, but I think two really stand out. When we're connected with other people, we do better. We, we are made as relational beings. I still have never met the following person. I stayed home for weeks and weeks and weeks, didn't talk to anybody, and I'm doing great. Yep, I'm doing great. No, we're created to connect. That's how God designed us. That was the hard part about COVID stuff. It's been, it's been hard on a lot of our kids who weren't in school all the time. It, we were designed to connect. The other thing is, when you're going to a, a place of worship weekly, it's about a greater purpose, right? Greater, greater purpose. So we all need purpose, and obviously the ultimate purpose is in uh, Christ. La one last thing from uh, some other re researchers that says this. It's amazing, especially as I've studied like trauma and child abuse, that those who have a high level of spirituality have far greater uh, resiliency. Resiliency. And we really need that today. There's a lack of resiliency in people's lives. Uh, I was talking to a, a staff member from one of our local high schools lately, and they said they're so nervous for our youth because the lack of resiliency. One thing would go on, and they don't just go from, like, I'm okay to, oh, I'm a little bummed out. They go to, I'm okay to, I'm suicidal. The resiliency is really struggling. And uh, the great thing about the, the Christian faith, not just spirituality, the Christian faith is Christ doesn't say, hey, go be good people. He does this. I get what it means to be abandoned. I get what it feels to be alone. I get what it feels to be betrayed. I get what it means to give kindness and get rejection. He gets grief. He gets disappointment. He gets, um, I need you disciples to pray for me. I'm about to die. And what do they go do? They fall asleep. They're like, thanks for the support. <laughs> the Son of God's asking for support at the greatest peak in humankind history, and you fall asleep. Thanks. Right? Thanks. Right? He gets what it means to be disappointed. He gets also that people only want him for the things that he brings to them, that he feels like he's used. He gets what it feels like to be used. Just think of why we celebrate Palm Sunday. We want you to do stuff for us. It's not about really worshiping you. We want stuff out of you. He gets all that stuff. So the, the Christian faith is amazing because in other faiths, it's more like just go do or be. But he says, I get what it be, feels like to experience these things. Some stats, this is really uh, tragic. Suicide now is the second leading cause of deaths for ages 10 to 24. Second leading. And it's really rising in the 10 to 14 range. It's 10 to 14 range. Um, I've seen that uh, over and um, 
and over again. 10 to 14 is the real age that's really, really, really growing uh, rapidly. One of the things, if you ever come across someone who's ever experienced these type of like suicidal thoughts or they lack hope, I actually want to give you a phrase that you can write down and actually say. Because most people are like, what do I say? Like, it's awkward. Uh, go send them to somebody else. Because uh, it feels anxious. It's unknown. It's awkward. Right? If you ever, like, just want to have some more anxiety, just like, hey, let's talk about suicide issues in America. Right? It's awkward. So here's something you can say. It's this. It's not, I get the sense, it's not that you want to die is that you want the pain to go away. You want the pain to go away. I've said that phrase probably thousands of times. My college job was working on one of those hotlines for eight hours. That was uh, many years ago now. And it's amazing how, and I've used that phrase, and every time they're like, yes, because they've reached this peak that they don't have any more internal or external resources that's going to take the pain away. So they think that's the only way to take it away. Because I'm, I'm hopeless in taking the pain away. It's not just hopeless in circumstances. It's to take the pain away. So the United States alone, uh, suicide, uh, I think, is now up to about 50,000 people a year who die. Um, depending on who you ask, you about 800,000 800, attempts um, in our country. It's really, really delicate. During, right in the, the peak of the... Uh, COVID stuff, when there's a lot of lockdowns, they did a survey of young adults. And they said, during that time, they asked, how many of you have uh, seriously contemplated ending your life? And for 18 to 22-year-olds, and across the U.S., it was one in four. One in four had contemplated having those thoughts. You don't go to that place if you're just like, oh, you know, I'm kind of bored today. You go there because there's despair, it feels hopeless. I'm more worried about someone who's hopeless than even depressed. Hopelessness is really a ser- uh, super, super serious. A couple other things uh, of stats that have gone on. Um, about 1,100 college students in their life each year. The college campuses cannot keep up hiring enough counselors to help students on our college campuses. Uh, right, it just goes back to some of the, 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 the same things and some of these warning signs. So uh, what, what's, what's going on here? Let's put the next one up here. What's going on? There's a lot of contributing factors, a lot of contributing factors for this. It's never, here's the thing, it's never one issue. It's never go, oh, I didn't get that job thus. It's almost always multi-layered. That's the hard part. So that's why if you say, why don't you just fix this part of your life, it'll get better because it's usually four or five, six, seven, eight, nine things that have added up. And one of the biggest ones uh, is trauma. Uh, there's more and more we've studied about trauma. Tr- uh, one of the, the biggest ones of trauma now that we're finding that affects someone who's suicidal years later is past bullying. So they're finding if, if someone was bullied in sixth grade, it actually affects suicidal thoughts in 11th grade. It has that much kind of long-term impact on our, uh, our youth because it affects their development, how they see themselves, how they see hope, how they see, can I ask for help? Can I see, this? I, I feel powerless, all that kind of stuff. So one, there's a, there's, if you ever want to do some studies, it's called the ACE study. It's really um, the most, one of the most humbling studies on trauma. And they study people who had five or more significant traumas before the age of 18. That could be bullying, could be a bad car accident, could be a parent with domestic violence, you know, all those things that would 
most people would say that's pretty, that's pretty significant. That's traumatic. I'm not saying you got a lower grade than you want on a test. I would not call that traumatic. Okay, I'm saying more trauma. And they said those who had at least five or more before the age of 18, their life expectancy went down 20 years. Their life expectancy is now 59 years old. 20 years. The average person now lives probably late 70s, went down to late, late 50s. So trauma has this huge effect on our development, how we see ourselves, even how we see God. I was just talking to someone recently, and they said, why would I trust a God who I can't see when the very people who are supposed to love me like parents cause me great pain and trauma? That's really hard to do. It makes faith really, really challenging. Some other things up here um, that make it really, really challenging uh, is military service. That's really, really high. Uh, another one that's not listed here, but it's compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is really real for first responders. If you know somebody who works, you know, as an ER nurse, law enforcement, firefighting, all the kind of things, one of the, one of the questions you should ask them one day, if you have the relationship, you have the, and don't get, do this with 30 seconds only, you need more time, is this, how do you think your job impacts you as a person? How do you think your job impacts you as a person? It has impact. There's really something to compassion uh, fatigue. Uh, substance abuse obviously is really uh, significant. Um, just even witnessing trauma is really significant. Uh, long uh, long uh, patterns of anxiety with themselves or their parents. All those things kind of add up. And then another one not listed here is losses. And what I don't mean by loss is I don't mean just a death. I mean a loss of a job, loss of a dream, loss of health, loss of uh, that best friend's moving away, loss of being able to go to church because of COVID, loss of loss, loss, loss. It's amazing how many times I'll sit with somebody and they'll say to me, I feel so uh, depressed. And after about 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, you just rattled off six losses. And a lot of times there's grief that's needed and it really um, affects mo mo motivation. A uh, couple more things up here. Go to the next one, please, that I think is really important. That there's a confusion about this. Um, men commit, I think, up to almost 80% of all suicides. It's 79, about 79% of complete suicides are male. And the highest rate are Caucasian males, 40 and all the way up to elderly. That's actually the highest rate. Um, so uh, teenagers will have more attempts, but they're usually taking pills, uh, and it's not a completed suicide, but for men, it's a lot higher. Like the ones in Santa Clarita, there's, again, men are at risk, but again, people don't think of that. They typically think of the teenager who has some drama in their life, and again, that does happen. I'm not minimizing those situations, but men uh, are at risk. Phys chronic physical illness is really, uh, really significant. Another one that's really, is obvious, but previous attempts, what happens is when there's previous attempts, they start having less anxiety about the thought of dying. So that, that's just one of the really uh, significant ones. So uh, I know this is, is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. But one of the, this is the prayer I have for me. This is a prayer I hope you have for you. Is God, help me see the pain that's around me. Help me see the struggles and the pain that's around me. One of the things that is, I've been in church life my whole life. 
I was told I was in the nursery at four days old. Um, that's what I was told. And sometimes, especially in church world, we do this in other parts of our life, but church world, we compare our insides with their outsides. I know my struggles, my anxiety, my worry, my insecurities, but you seem like you have it all together when you come to church and you seem like a nice, smiling person. And so I compare them and they're like, what's wrong with what? Me. We do a lot of comparisons that way. That happens all the time. And so one of my prayers is, God, help me see it. Because it's really subtle sometimes. People give these little hints and clues. And uh, anybody here, this is not a raise a hand thing. This is is just a (laughs) contemplate thing. Okay. I'm the guest speaker, but I should not go that far. Is this, is you, uh, you, you notice somebody struggling and you're like, I don't know if I have the time. All right? I don't know, I'm, I'm, oh, that's, that's, that's going to take more than two minutes. Gonna, okay, th- okay, this is a true story. This, I, I, can I do, am I, I'll do a confessional. Is, is that all right? I want to do a confession. So I remember one time I was uh, at church, church services were over, and I really had some appointments to go to. But I was, like on the wrong, I was like on the opposite side of the building where my car had parked. And I'm like, if I walk through the lobby, I won't make it. Okay, I'm just confessing. I won't make it. Because what will happen? Hey, duh, you know, conversations. So I'm like, I'm going through the back. back. So just imagine like walking through here the back. Like, I'm going to go through the back because then I'll be on time. So I'm walking through the back and then one person catches my eye. Hi. And they're like, oh, they're like, I've been looking for you. <laughs> oh, Jesus, what are you doing? And, and I go, oh, hi. And I, and I thought it was more like that, hi, how are you, which really is just one word and you just keep going. It's not like a pause. And they're like, oh, my friend is suicidal. Can you help me? And I, even though this is stuff I love, it's a struggle sometimes because I want to be in control of my time. But I was like, all right, this is a nice convicting moment. Thank you, God, as a care pastor. Thank you, God. All right? I need a pause. My time doesn't really belong to me. Just like anything else. I want to be a good steward of it. So I need to be okay being a little late here for the sake of someone's life. Every person is made in the image of God. And thus they have uh, value. One of the great tragedies today with young people is they believe they have to earn their value. Versus intrinsically given to them. They have to look, they have to have beauty, they have to have a career, they have to earn, they have to be successful. It's really tragic now. What happens is they're putting all their hopes in what they're talented in, get into that college, get that whatever they want to do. And when that doesn't work out, or life happens sometimes, it's like falling off a cliff. There's no no resource, there's no base uh, to go to. So some other... um, Kind of warning signs, go to the next one, please, is, is this. Uh, if they ever are threatening to hurt oneself, about 80, depending on your ass, 90%, 90% of people or so who end their life actually give warning signs to friends and family. A majority of people. There is that 10% that don't, but a more majority. I, it's just, it's broke, it's broke my heart when I've had people say, they gave me little warning signs, I didn't see it. I didn't see it till hindsight. That's about as tragic as it gets. I never want ever that to happen, a single soul. The pain of that is is brutal. So they talk about, now, we'll talk about what to do if they talk about it. Some other ones, um, if they end up talking about death or suicide more than, or the hopelessness, they're feeling worthless, they'll say things like this. I don't know if life's worth living. 
I don't know if, you know, my family would probably be better if I'm not around. If you ever, ever, ever get people talking like that, please go towards them. Don't pull away. Go toward them. Go, tell me what's going on. Can I listen? Please don't try to fix them. Please don't, please don't go. Can I make it all better in a minute? Please go towards them and go, can I listen? What's going on? Where's the pain? Ask him the, those questions. All right, here's a real, this is, a, this is just a general relational thing. Be relationally curious. Not about their story, but the person within the story. So if someone tells you a story like, I just broke up with my girlfriend, or I just got a divorce, or da-da-da-da-da, don't ask questions about the details of the divorce or the breakup. Ask, oh, and how was that for you? How are you? I want to hear your heart. I want to hear what's going on. What's, go- what's happening? That must be brutal. Listen to the human within their story, not just the details of the story. One, another sign, a warning sign, is also, and this is probably the one that gets missed as much as any of them, if someone believes they're a burden to their friends or family. If they like, oh, I went to two rehabs, we spent 25000 my family would be better off without me. So they start to convince themselves people would be better because maybe I can't get better with my depression or the, the, I keep relapsing. I feel like I'm a burden financially because I have these physical ailments. If someone feels like they're a burden, please go towards them. Please go towards them. That's one of the top signs. Another sign is if they have a close family member who's ended their life. If there's a fa- close family member, the chances of them doing it go up about 600%. If they have that parent or uh, like sibling, that really close. I'm not talking about third cousin, that close uh, family member. Uh, put the uh, 2 Corinthians 7 up. You're like, I need some scripture. I need some encouragement because this is heavy. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having guest speakers, Pastor Marty. So uh, Paul, you know, P- Paul wrote, you know, a huge part of the New Testament, like Absolutely amazing how God used him in all sorts of ways. Actually says this. Actually says this. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we are harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Doing ministry really well with no complaints because everything's always perfectly good. Some of you just woke up. That's not what it says. Some of you are like, I don't remember that translation. No, what? Conflicts on the outside. What does he say? Fears with what? Well, then... Paul's talking about his own anxiety. Paul had anxiety. He had some worry going on. So sometimes we have this, the fact, this, this weird idea like, well, I've been a Christian for years. I shouldn't struggle like that. Like, that's just not truth. This is Paul, who wrote all these books, in the New, so many books in the New Testament. And then he actually talks about discouragement, possible depression. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted what? Notice he didn't say comforted others. Us includes who? Me. Me. So Paul's actually just saying, I've had some anxiety. I've had some depression or discouragement. It's been rough. So if Paul can admit it, I hope you and I can. I hope you and I can actually admit it. And now notice the solution here. Didn't say the solution was trying harder and being a nicer Christian. It says this, by the coming of who? Titus. God sent somebody. God sent a person to help. All right, I want to talk real practically what you can do. If you ever talk to somebody and they have any of these hints, any of these hints, go towards them and just ask them, 
Have you ever thought of hurting yourself? Ask the question. Some of you are like, ah, I'll like the, pa- the pastors handle that, or I'll give them like, there's this therapist I heard of in town who's good, or she's good, whatever. No, just say, what's going on? Go towards them. Don't run away. Um, and th- well, let me give you one way to assess. Now, this doesn't sound really scary. Some of you are like, going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is too much. If you ever have a friend who says, this is me, yes, I have thought about that. I've thought about hurting myself in some way. Yes, I'll admit I have thoughts of like self-harm. Here's what I would next question to ask. After you be really gentle, really compassionate, go really slow, ask the following. Have you ever thought about how you do it? Ask him that question. Ask him the how question. The research is really, really clear. The, gr- the more specific the plan, the greater the risk. The more specific the plan, the greater the risk. If, now, if you start getting involved in any of these type of questions, which I hope God brings these people to you and me, please then, your next step is not to handle alone. Get some help. There's, there's resources the church has. Marty will talk about some of those later. There's a national suicide hotline you can just pop, find on your phone. There's all sorts of things. Talk to one of the pastors. Connect them. Don't, don't promise this. I promise I won't tell anybody. That's not in their best interest. They need help. When someone is in despair and great depression, here's what I describe their life as like. It's like living in a black tunnel with no light at the end of the tunnel. And what I've told people over and over again, I say, I promise you, around five of those bins in that tunnel, you can't see it, but there's still light there. There's light, you just can't see it. And when you're in despair, you can't see clearly. And I want to be an advocate of a set of eyes for you. I mean, just that's what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, an advocate, right? Yeah. He's for us. He's a counselor. Um, and listen judgmentally. One of the worst things I've heard people say to teenagers who are suicidal, they're just doing it for attention. Please never say that. Please. One of the things I was, if, if a teenager comes and one of the things I would say to them, it sounds like your pain needs attention. Your pain needs attention. That's what they need to hear. Because often they feel really, really alone in their pain. That's one of the questions I ask all the time in counseling is, what part of your life do you feel alone? It's amazing what comes out with that question. What part of your life do you feel alone? Now, something else that happens kind of, especially in church settings, is this. Uh, Some spiritual questions that are almost like a a little bit of, I'm not sure how to say this. So if anybody ever has, uh, actually, we're going to skip the, we talked over that, we're going to go to the the spiritual questions of Christ for help. Um, Sometimes people don't know how to ask for help. It's awkward. It's, it's delicate. If someone ever asks, does God forgive suicide? People ask me that question. Or if I come in, do I go to heaven? If you, you have like if somebody ever asks you those questions, please do not answer it right away. It's a timing thing. I'm all for theology. I'm all for studying God's word. It's vital stuff. But this is a timing thing. If someone ever says that, I, here's what I say to them every time. So before we answer that and what I think what the Bible says, can you just share what led you to ask that question? What's going on? There's been numerous situations across our country where someone's asked a church leader this question. They gave them their theological answer and they went home and ended their life because it was a cry for help. It wasn't a theological question. The church leader thought it was a theological question, but it was really their way of crying for help. They just didn't know how to do it. It's awkward. It's delicate. It's really, really challenging. Now, suicides, you know, listed many times in the Bible. 
There's many people who've actually contemplated. Here's three of them. Elijah, Jonah, and Moses were all suicidal at one time in their life. All of them actually cry out to God, God, take my life. All of them. Elijah, Moses. Now, Jonah, there's a lot of sin issues that contributed to that one. Moses, he was burnt out. He, he was trying to lead a million people or so. We don't know the exact number. Across the desert, and he was so in despair because of his loneliness as a leader. Imagine taking everybody in San Fernando Valley and trying to walk them to Vegas without a porta potty and a phone. <laughs> I mean, that was Moses' rule. You're like, thanks a lot. I'm like, if I was Moses, I'm not jealous of Moses. But he got so despair and the complaining he had to put up with, the complaining by the people, he literally said to God, Take my life. These are some of the pillars of the Bible. People wrote the scriptures. Look at, let's look at one of them. First Kings, uh, First Kings 19 says uh, this. This is Elijah. He just had this huge battle with Baal, and then now he's alone. He's running for his life. He might be killed. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brewer, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said to him, oh, you terrible sinner, how dare you? Some of you, that's not it, that's the wrong translation again. The angel said, get up and eat. He needs some self-care. The angel doesn't even confront the words. He looked around, and there by his head was some food from stone fire, over hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Elijah just needed some self-care. Now, Jonah probably had a hard heart. Moses was alone as a leader, complaining. But Elijah's example, he needed some food and some sleep. Sometimes in Christian circles, there's this idea that all self-care is all selfish. That's not true. Notice there's not a time that he's confronted about his attitude. He just says, here's some food and get a nap. Sometimes we can push, 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 push. I don't know about you, but when you're sleep deprived and you're not eating, how you doing? Not good. Not good. Once in a while in our household, we'll say, are you hangry to each other? <laughs> right? Those little things make a difference. They add up. But here's a the, here's the common denominator in all three. All three individuals, as they were saying to God, please take my life, which I would not recommend that prayer. All three, here's the common denominator. All three were alone. Not one of them did this in partnership with somebody else. All three were isolated. That is the common denominator of all three of these. All three didn't have, like, they actually avoided other people. I want to end with a hopeful scripture. Um, some are like, thank you. It's heavy. It's heavy, heavy stuff. Uh, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 56. Psalms 56 and verse 8. It says, right in the middle of verse 8, it says, put my tears in your bottle. God cares about every emotion you ever have or will experience. He never goes, hmm, you're kind of a drama queen. Yep. Put my He's not apathetic either. He's never like, get over it. Put every tear. He actually cares about the tears that haven't fell yet that are still in your body. He's so caring and so cares about every part of your story. He says, put my tears in your bottle. I've had many people say, 
I bet you I have a lot of bottles in heaven after they've gone through a hard time or a long time. He is never dismissive of our struggle. He doesn't go, you know, you should be over that by now. In that kind of condescending way. Verse 9 goes on and says this, This I know that God is for me. It's for me. I heard a story recently of this little boy who went hiking with his dad around these little rock formations. It's kind of like Vasquez Rocks if you've ever been up there. Um, and this, this little boy uh, went up this little, little, little cliff real quickly. And he's probably, I don't know, four years old. And then uh, he decides to jump. And he, as he jumps, he says, uh, catch me, Dad. But he didn't say it till he had jumped. So the dad didn't really catch him well. They both went down. He kind of caught him. They lay on the ground. No one's hurt. But the dad's a little annoyed. Like, come on, give us a warning, kid. Like, so he gets up and he goes, why'd you do that? You know, a typical real mature dad way, right? And uh, the son goes, well, because you're my dad. I knew you'd catch me. In this story, the kid jumped first and then said, help me, dad. Because he knew his heavenly father, his dad, just like his heavenly father, the dad would be there. His dad was good. His dad would catch him. He could trust. So your heavenly father is never overwhelmed by your stuff. That's a great thing. You might have friends and family that are like, when are they going to get over that? Please. He's, but God's never that way. God's never that way. He collects our tears in a bottle. He's never going, when are they going to get over it? He actually invites us to connect with him in the despair. In the despair. So I hope today that a couple prayers. God, help me see the pain around me. God, thank you that you care about every emotion I feel. God, thank you that you get trauma. Jesus gets trauma. Jesus gets abandonment. He gets you and me even more than we get ourselves. He knows more about me than I know about me. And what a reassuring thing he is to know about God who permanently wants to love us forever. Let's pray. So God, we love you. Thank you that your word is just honest. Lord, I pray for this valley. I pray for those in this valley who are literally thinking about some of these things right now. I know there's some right now at Henry Mayo's behavioral unit because of the risk was so high. I know, pray for those that no one else knows. I pray even those, whether they're watching online or in this room, who really need to ask for help, but that's it's really hard. It almost feels shaming to ask for help. I pray for courage. I pray we would have your eyes as we see the people around us. In your name, amen. Thank you.